0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I am joined here by our host and star of the show, KFT. This is a date in October with KFT. I do know we are in January, so don't check my knowledge of the the calendar, Uh, but we're about less than 20 days away from spring training. I can't believe it's back so quickly. I'm excited for it. But uh, before we get going, just want to thank our audience, closing in on 65,000 subscribers want to thank Jaw Bats, uh, the newest bat that will be certified this season to be in Major League Baseball. Our very own Jeff Fry used one this past week in Red Sox Fantasy Camp. Got a double in his first at-bat. My son Tanner's using his righty and lefty, uh, his M110 model. He absolutely loves and recommends. Use RVG at checkout for now. All of our hosts will have their own codes by the end of the week. but Use that for now to get your discount on bats plus all apparel that you want. Uh, Great guys there with Jaw's Bats. Also want to congratulate our podcast hosts. We've been nominated for two baseball awards. One is the podcast group, Baseball Podcast of the Year. Um, the second is the Webby's, same, same category, Baseball Podcast of the Year. I did promise our, our hosts that if we do win, we will not have to give back our awards. So that'll be good. It's a little uh, ESPN jab right there. And I want to thank Millions, our new marketing partner right now, with all the attention we've been getting, with the subscribers being up, we're global in 74 countries. We've brought on a group to handle our our, our sponsor and add activity. So they will be full force as of this morning. So they started doing it this week, but uh, all locked in with all our numbers and stuff. So we're excited about that. And with that, Kelly, welcome back to your show.
1: Dave, I'm really excited about these awards. Does this mean I get to buy one of those fancy dresses? Is there going to be a red carpet maybe?
0: I don't know how the cyber world works. Probably everybody will get an avatar the way it works. And, uh... <laughs> Much, much cheaper than a dress. But yeah, I, I know very little about it I um, other than, you know, being contacted and whatnot. And it's kind of neat to be recognized. And the only thing I don't like about, uh, I guess I'm old fashioned. When you used to get an award, it just they gave you the award or you were nominated. We, we got nominated. We didn't get anything yet. But uh, boy, I had to fill out so much paperwork for it. I thought I was buying a house.
1: That's a burden.
0: Yeah. I almost, <laughs> I joked to say, I think I'm going to turn down the nomination. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, if I, 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 sucked it up and filled out the paperwork. So, um, I got to do the webbies later today, but, uh, have verbally said, yeah, we'll, we will we'll accept the nomination. I don't know what it means, but it's nice recommend, you know, rec- recognition. We've, we haven't even been around two years yet. And we're some of the, the nominations are pretty big groups. I mean, you're talking Fox ESPN, guys like Jason Whitlock, uh, Colin Cowherd. In fact, we had Peter King on earlier today with Jerry Chupiano, who's, you know, goes on cowherd right after us. So we've got a, uh, we're, we're starting to wake some people up and the song I put on, the song remains the same. That's a Led Zeppelin song. Uh, Jim Colonel, one of our, our host of the arms race, uh, he does tons of baseball research for pitching former Yankee farmhand and a tr- tremendously bright guy, uh, right along the lines of Jim Rooney and uh, Mark Wiley, Will George in the pitching aspects. But he says, God, every week I wake up, I do my research, and I feel like the song remains the same. So we pass that on when we've been using that this week, um, with with uh, obviously with approval. But uh, again, yeah, it's exciting times here, and I know uh, you're paying close attention to, like everybody was. The Hall of Fame. We still have free agency. We got arbitration coming up. Um, you know, you're uh, you're top of the first today. Where did you want to start with the Hall of Fame? A little
1: review do a little recap of the Hall of Fame, because in the weeks leading up to the vote, I was excited about it, like all baseball fans are. But I started to, and I don't know if this happened to you, Dave, but I started to get a little, mm, I didn't really like the articles I was reading about it, because I felt like it was all war. In fact, in my head, I started calling it the Hall of War, the Hall of War, the Hall of F War, the Hall of D War. And I found it just not very romantic in the sense of baseball. And I thought, you know, I don't want the Hall of Fame players evaluated this way. I want it to be a subjective aspects of consideration. I want to look at their impact on the game. I want to look at their excellence at their one position. I want to look at whether or not they help their team win. And it reminded me of back when I was in law school, Dave, and there was a case, it was Jaca versus Ohio, and it was a case regarding pornography, and I'll keep this G-rated. It was a case regarding pornography, and the issue was how to define it, which is, of course, a very tricky thing. And Justice Potter Stewart said, in his opinion, he said, I know it when I see it. And that was his standard. And I kind of felt like with the Hall of Fame, if there's a Hall of Famer, I'm going to know it when I see it. And I thought of Justice Potter Stewart.
0: Yeah. And no, then, it's, that's
1: a, go ahead. Go ahead. I
0: say, a, people have, uh, I, I love that, that answer because it's, it's, uh, it leaves room for interpretation. It leaves room for uh, communication. It doesn't put it in a little, you know, Coke bottle because everything's going to take the shape of it. and. It it goes back. I, I learned this with foreign languages, wanting to say things. People try to say things so often so they're understood. But if you say it so you can, there's no possible way you can be misunderstood, you're more likely to be understood. So I probably just confused the hell out of everybody with, uh, ironically, with that statement. But there's no way you can misunderstand that, that statement. It's simplicity at its finest.
1: Right, right. And You know, I kept thinking about this and even thought about doing a video on it for one of my three-inning minutes. I hope our fans are following me along on uh, X, as it's called now, at three-inning fan is my handle where I create my three-inning minutes. And then I thought, you know, maybe I'm not giving this war thing a fair shake because one positive thing about using the stats is that we get to evaluate players in a different way. And maybe it's okay to use a blend of these two ways. Because if we don't use things like war, then we might be stuck with these same old statistics we've always used, 3,000 hits, um, you know, 500 home runs, or 3,000 strikeouts, or 300 wins. And that's kind of restrictive too. And so- I think we need to give the stats a fair shake. We need a blend of the stats and what we observe and feel about a player.
0: Oh, I agree. I think the issue with war, I think the positive with war, at least the intent anyway, uh, was to measure players across generations. And that's always hard to do. You have, you know, you go back to the the time where there were no night games or there were less pitchers on staffs and, uh, you know, different kinds of equipment, balls fly out quicker. So you have the dead ball air. So there's the baseball always changes. And I think war was analytics attempt to finally bridge the gap between past and present. The issue with it is the people that use it frequently um, don't have the baseball acumen to add as as you're wanting and, and, and you're talking about the story around war, The because it's supposed to be about words. The other problem I have with it is Nobody can clearly define how you figure it out. Um, it's opaque and it's hidden, the formula. I like it's a mystery. Um, the other side of it is the guys in baseball don't like it, so they won't engage with it. So the people that can tell the story don't want to you know, utilize that to tell the story. So, yeah, I agree. There's, there's always that gap between analyst and operative, and in that gap lies the friction that we deal with in baseball right now.
1: And when you look at it in the big picture, the votes over the span of a century—they're never going to make sense. They can't all be lined up and quantified equally. I said in a post last week on X that Ichiro will be up next year. He should not only be a first balloter, but I said I think he should be unanimous. My oh, yeah. How
0: do you vote against him? I mean, how do you vote against Ichiro?
1: Yeah. And then it actually generated a lot of very constructive comments. And one guy said, and he seemed to be like a little mad. He said, he can't, Ichiro can't be unanimous. Willie Mays wasn't even unanimous. And I thought, well, first of all, it's not my fault. I'm just a middle-aged lawyer sitting on my couch. But then my second thought was, well, that guy's kind of right. You know, it doesn't make sense. And it's never going to make sense.
0: And that's okay. Like everything, that's the problem with... With uh, some of the baseball fans, to me, baseball's a mystery. I mean, it's you—it's not like you buy a puzzle at the store. It has you know 400 pieces. Every piece is there. You put it together. And sometimes in baseball, there's pieces missing, and that's the fun part about the game. That's why it continues to evolve and grow. And I'm a firm believer that you know, even though there's tons of argument discussion, there's a push pull going on with different factions of baseball. Baseball is going to take care of itself. It always does. It always has. If we just let it do that and uh you know i i laugh at that argument because as soon as you say, i knew i knew it was going to be joe dimaggio willie mays we all have a sense of reverence for for those players we know how good they were um but you you can't claim injustice for all you know like okay willie mays and do it, so no way ichiro can do it um i i can't but there's going to be some writer just takes one not vote for ichiro just on principle so yeah so be it so be it so you want to move to to your uh your next segment. Yeah, uh, I I wanna...
1: we talk about arbitration today.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm all ears on that because that is a mystery to me, speaking of mysteries.
1: Well, you know me, Dave. I sometimes, when the opportunity presents itself, I like to look at the legal aspects of the game. Yeah. Like we just all learned a little something about Justice Potter Stewart. Um, the arbitration is a legal aspect of the game, too. And in a way, it's kind of the ugly business underbelly of things because it can get ugly. But I thought our listeners might be interested in a quick overview of the process and then look at some players who are headed to ARB. Attorneys call them ARBs, so you'll hear me say that. So first, who's eligible? You got to look at, we're looking at the younger set of players, the ones under team control. The players with between three and six years of major league service are eligible for salary ARB. There's a small category of players called super twos. There are players with two years of service who are the top tier players and have almost three years of service time. They can also qualify, but it's basically players with between three and six years of major league service. So that's who's eligible, and this is how it works. If a club tenders an ARB-eligible player, that means they've agreed to agree on a contract, or if they can't agree to go to arbitration on it. So we all hear when a club non-tenders a young player, they're basically you know gone. you know They go to another team or go to try to negotiate another deal. But if the club tenders the ARB eligible player, they're saying, we're going to have a deal. And they might not be saying what the deal is, but they're saying, we're going to agree to a deal in the future, or we're going to ARB the deal in the future, but there's going to be a deal. So then if the club and the player haven't agreed to those contract terms by the ARB deadline, which this year was, I think, around January 11th or 12th, the club and the player exchange salary demands and move toward the arbitration, which is going to be scheduled in just a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, What, the 29th? Is that the...
1: Yeah, it's uh, in um arizona i think this year between january 29th and february 16th i think are the dates yeah so it's really interesting because at this point the parties exchange their demands the club has their number and the player has their number so the kicker is that the panel the ar- arbitration panel is a panel of three arbitrators the panel chooses either the club's figure or the player's figure. But not a compromise figure. Hmm. And that's the player's salary for the upcoming season, and the decision is binding. So this method. You know, we all negotiate things in our everyday life. I do it a lot as a lawyer, but even if I weren't, you negotiate everything. What do you want to have for dinner with your spouse? What movie do you want to see? Oh, sure. All these things. And sometimes, let's admit it, sometimes we ask for a little more than we would settle for. Just, you know, so it looks like we're giving something when we give it up. Or maybe that's just me because Uh-oh, I- Oh, don't be don't revealing it. your lawyer's
0: secrets here. Don't start.
1: <laughs> but when you go to the ARB, You don't really do that. You might do it in the negotiations leading up to the exchange of figures. But once you exchange your figures, you are going to want to present present a proposal that's reasonable and based on sound comps and solid metrics. Because if you ask for too much, you're going to lose. The arbitrator is going to pick the other side's number. So you're going to be realistic.
0: Is that where you, you, we talked about war just a couple seconds ago? That's where things like these analytic comps, like war, if they become real solid in a Hall of Fame type of vote, that's a, I mean, strong indicator that could be a trickle down in, in arbitration too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the stats are going to be a huge part of it. And certainly we hear more about war than anything else. But then I also think there are the other intangibles or more subjective aspects that we talk about every day. Who helps a team win? Something as basic as supply and demand. You know, maybe if there aren't a lot of pitcher, you know, good third baseman, maybe this third baseman's worth a lot. So there are a few factors.
0: Yeah. Are there any big names that you, I, I know, I think what, did Soto settle so that he didn't have to go to arbitration? Or yeah. there were some big names up this year, right?
1: Soto got a record. He was $31 million, and that is a record beating Shohei's record last year when he got $30 million. So that was a big deal. Um, Pete Alonso got $20.5 with the Mets. Um, and these were not arbitrations. These were deals that were made pre arbitration To so avoid it. To yeah. go to ARB, yeah. Um, Dylan Cease and the White Sox settled up. Shane McClanahan and the Rays settled up. He did a two-year deal with them. Um, so most of the cases do settle up, but other clubs do not. They other clubs follow this file and trial policy where as soon as they exchange numbers, they say, we're not going to negotiate anymore. Um, we're just going to go right to trial.
0: Yeah. they um, And they're usually pretty close, right? Are there, were there any glaring differences? Well, one was
1: glaring in... A shake my head kind of way. The Tigers and Casey Mize. I'm gonna make a bad pun and say this was the most miserly of the deals because if we can't torture our listeners with bad puns,
0: that's right. They'll get it. They okay. like it. That's why they tune in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so Casey Mize, a right-handed pitcher, um, he filed at eight forty. And the Tigers were at 815000 840000 and 815000 So they were $25,000 apart. Um, the fans I saw on Twitter were not too happy about this because they felt like it was indicia of their club being cheap. Oh yeah. Um, happy to report that there is um, joy in paradise because a few days ago they settled at 830000 for a one-year deal and a club option for 2025. So oh. we can all sleep easy tonight.
0: So they can put in for arbitration, but they can decide, okay, we're we're going to pull out. And
1: technically, negotiate. you can negotiate up to the courthouse steps.
0: Okay, <laughs> I like that technicality. That's but see, Mize is one of the the bright young pitchers in baseball right now, and I'd be mad if I were Detroit Tiger fans as well because he's they have a they have a strong young crop of players like him that they drafted in the last you know, three, four five years who are also going to be coming for arbitration following Mize. He's the first. Um, so if that's an indication of their um, commitment to keeping this young talent, it's probably frightening for a lot of Tigers
1: fans. Well, you know, and that's such a good point, because one of the things I wanted to mention is that it's very damaging to go to arbitration, because when you think about it, you're basically going on trial between a club and a player. And the club has to advocate to a panel of arbitrators that the player isn't worth what he's asking. Yeah. And that's just not good. No. And in fact, last year, Corbin Burns um, of the Brewers, he lost his arb with the Brewers and he publicly acknowledged that his relationship with the club was hurt. And how could it not be?
0: Oh yeah. I, th- i made that mistake. My first contract negotiation as a coach, I went in and did it myself. And, uh, I I had hard feelings towards my boss following regardless of what the outcome was I ended up getting what I wanted but to see um somebody on the other side who's supposed to be on your team uh both literally and figuratively to kind of show you all the ways you're not good and that's the way I looked at it uh, I had a hard time working for him after that so I never again went in and did my own negotiation I always sent somebody cuz I just didn't want I didn't want I didn't want that to affect my relationship and I said if it's going to be business let's make it business um, and I just stayed away from it and just waited for the number but uh, no, I agree I agree
1: yeah things get vicious in a courtroom I can I can definitely tell you
0: yeah well, yeah this didn't any ma- I wish it was as uh, organized as a courtroom when I did it it was just an office and uh, you know it's either way it's 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 not fun uh, and it's not conducive to wanting to work together afterwards. So it has to, it's part of the game. It has to happen. And as I say, you know, like, like you, you're a professional, you do it, let the professionals that do that, let them do it. Um, and then I, I would probably stay away from it and just wait for the wait for the final number, hoping that my guy pushed hard for me. Yeah. You know, with, with some of these, these other teams, uh, I, I know I saw Shane McClanahan, one of the bright young pitchers, he was able to, settle as well. Dylan Cease, another good young guy. Um, but who, who's, uh, who's going to be heading for arbitration? Any, any names we should take note of?
1: Well, just a quick note, because we had just referenced the smallest margin between Casey Mize and the Tigers. So who is heading to ARB and the widest spread is the hero of last year's ALCS, Adolis Garcia of the oh, yeah. Rangers, He filed at 6.9 million, and the Rangers are at 5 million. And this is the biggest spread, 1.9 million. It's the largest spread among the filings this year.
0: In the real world, that's huge. Uh, Probably in baseball, that's, I guess, that's probably an indication like, hey, we're getting along pretty well. Well,
1: you know, that's a really good point. If that's the widest one, it's not so bad. But then it also says with all these little piddly ones, like, couldn't you have worked it out? But maybe some of them will. I mean, like, look at the Marlins. I kind of wanted to talk about the Marlins because... They
0: haven't done anything.
1: They've ticked me off a little bit this offseason, Dave. First of all, they chased Kim Ang. She opted out because uh, her authority... She felt her authority was being stripped. And I have no reason to doubt her because I think she's brilliant. Um, She... Uh, Got the Marlins to their first playoff appearance since winning the 2003 World Series, if you don't count the 2020 COVID year, because I kind of don't. And they had the sixth lowest payroll last year. She did a great job. They won all those one-run games. Remember, they were supposed to have, you know, predicted to have the lowest, I don't know if it was the lowest number of wins, but they surprised everyone because their offense was pretty sluggish. But they won a lot of one-run games. It, it was fun to watch them last year. Anyway, they haven't signed a single free agent this offseason. I heard this morning they signed Trey Mancini to a minor league deal. And no, I'm not counting that. Um, yeah, so, go ahead.
0: No, no, I said I saw that as well. I love Mancini, but, you know, I, I don't know what that – that's not a major – he's good in good locker room. He's a good pro hitter. But, yeah, to a minor league deal, it's kind of unexciting.
1: I just don't know what's going on down there. Their estimated payroll, I read, was going to be ninety-seven million. Don't quote me on the exact number because sometimes you read one article and it says one thing, and the other article says you know five or ten million the other direction. But anyway, they don't seem to be doing a whole lot to improve, and they've got three guys going to arb. And I I don't know if they're purposely tanking because maybe they have no hope for the year. They lost S- Sandy Alcantara. To Tommy John last October so he's not going to be around this year but they have a uh, jazz Chisholm Tanner Scott he's a left-handed pitcher and Luis arise going to Arb
0: yeah those are some big players in there and their hope to stay relevant without question I I, uh, I can't pretend to understand the Marlins and I, you won't find me ever supporting. What they're doing, I think they win in spite of themselves. They've got good young talent. They have a hardworking staff there. They lost Kim. She, yeah, I mean, it was very evident. They hired somebody. They physically hired somebody over her. Um, so, I don't think it was a figment of her imagination by any means. But uh, it's funny you hear about the Marlins and then the 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 other team too that you mentioned or that that you wrote up in your notes. We've waited so long for them to come back to relevance, and they've had the back, the back, to back. Uh, you know. Minor league players of the year, and, and probably going to have another rookie of the year next year if if uh, he starts in the bigs like they think they think a Holiday is going to Jackson Holiday. But you got the Orioles down as a team to kind of pay attention to.
1: I do, and my quote about the Orioles is they need to stop living for tomorrow. Their moment is now.
0: Yeah, they they have really good young talent. They oddly Rushman is going to be. Well, I don't want to say he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's uh, presumptuous, but well-respected by veterans. He stays healthy, switch hitter. I mean, he's a big guy. And from all uh, accounts of him, he is a, just a straight-laced, good young kid too, or a good young man, the way he approaches life on and off the field. So um, if you're building around stability, they had the rookie of the year this past year. Um, and then it uh, looks like Jackson Holiday will be up probably as their everyday second baseman uh, was what I'm what I'm hearing that's a nice run. It's, it's time to roll with that. It's been, it's been well over a decade of irrelevance.
1: Yeah. And if they could just get a good starting pitcher, Oh boy, do I wish for their fans that they would sign a good starting pitcher. I think they could make their move because you can't just be a team of the future forever. And in a couple of years, these youngsters are going to age out and I don't think they've signed any of them to extensions.
0: No, in fact, they made that comment last year, the owner, when he was complimented. I can't remember what talk show was on.
1: It was an interview with Tyler Kepner of the Times.
0: It was that when he said, we said, made the comment that, well, in order to keep these guys, we're going to have to drastically raise ticket prices. Yeah.
1: What a thing to say to your fans.
0: Bring their run, too, while they were making a run at 100 wins. So, yeah, it's a terrible bedside manner, but. Uh I root for the Orioles. I was an Orioles fan growing up. I have loved Cal Ripken and uh have told that story on the air of have getting a chance to meet him when I was a young player. But uh they they have some I mean who who are their guys? They've got some good young players heading to arbitration.
1: They do. Two relievers. Danny Coulomb, he filed at two point four million and the Orioles filed at two point two. And then Jacob Webb, he's at one million and the club the club is at nine twenty-five. So those are the two relievers. Then they got a um, their outfielder Austin Hayes. He's at six point three million, and the club's at five point eight five. And first baseman Ryan O'Hearns at three point eight million, and the club's at three point two. So not huge spreads here.
0: Yeah, it often makes you wonder why they're they're doing it, but maybe they will negotiate before they get to the the courtroom steps. Who are some other notables um, that you see throughout the league that are headed for arbitration?
1: Well Vladdy Guerrero Jr. up with the Jays uh, unfortunately he had to file two he's asking nineteen point nine million and the Jays filed at eighteen point oh five. So that's of the players who filed, he is seeking the highest salary.
0: Yeah. I would say pay that man. Yeah. Pay that man. He's their franchise. I mean, they have, I like their their young talent. I believe they, I think they underachieved this year based on their talent. But Vladdy's the cornerstone, and if the Jays won't pay, I'm sure there are a lot of clubs that that will to get that bat in their lineup. And then uh, you got a couple other National League guys.
1: JD Davis over with the Giants. He filed uh, at six point nine million, and the Giants are at six point five five and then i saw alex Bohm with the phillies oh. um, he's at 4 million and the Phillies are at 3.4 he had a couple of big hits was it last year in the postseason or the year before big home yeah, run, he's
0: he's uh, he's, a, he's an integral part of their their crew there they're getting you know philly philly bought a, a lot of players to make their run so maybe he's becoming expendable based on what they have in their minor league system, or as we talked early in the show, their metrics don't add up to the numbers. Now, I'm guessing that's a lot of what's going on here, stuff that we don't see behind the scenes where they place a dollar value. It's a regression analysis. There's a dollar value on every regression point, and it adds up to a certain amount. And when the players don't... But I would think the agents would be playing that same numbers game, so they have to know what their client's being judged on, I would I would gather. But um, I was hopeful way back when that J.D. Davis would be the Mets everyday corner because he was a good young prospect coming up. Um, But the the red, the reds are, they're going to possible, right? With Jonathan India, former rookie of the year.
1: Yeah. uh, former rookie of the year. I mean, not only that, he's a former rookie of the year and now he's uh, heading to ARB and they almost traded him Well, there were rumors of a trade at last year's deadline. And again, this off season Um, and he filed at 4 million and the reds are at 3.2 million. And I read that the Reds follow the file and trials, so that one should go to Arb.
0: Oh, Okay, yeah, I, I you know he had a, he had a uh, statistically took a little bit of a slide after the rookie of the year, but very good defensively. He's he's he can move around second or third. I think he's an everyday second baseman, but he's he's top third of the lineup for them. So I would think the Reds, having made a little bit of movement forward this year, would try to keep somebody like him. You want to keep that middle of the diamond as solid as possible so uh, but obviously they think maybe he's not the worth the dollar value as it compares to i hate to use this one wins above replacement because i don't even know what it means um you know who's his replacement they must think they can do just as good without him that they won't they won't lose as many runs or wins so but i like india's game like his game so arbitration remind our audience when is when is the arbitration what's the dates so we're, we're right we're getting close
1: yeah, it's going to be down in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, from January 29th to February 16th. And last year was not a good year for the players. Nineteen There were 19 ARBs total. 13 clubs won the ARBs and only six players won.
0: Okay. I'd love to see, I, I guess this would be an interesting follow-up on this show, kind of a, a chronicle of the wins and losses with arbitration. But I'd love, I'd love to get a just an analysis as to, you know what the arbit, arbit, was it arbiters or arbitrators What's arbitrators, the best? Yeah. arbitrators what they' what they're locked in on this year because again, they're they're humans, and humans are fallible, but they have to be on the same page going in uh, as to what they're prioritizing across all of major League baseball because it it's not done in a silo. I know it's one team against one player, but what they decide on one player affects arbitration throughout the league, I would gather. So I'd be interested to hear what their points of emphasis are this year. Maybe we can pick it apart, do a post, a post stop on, on the arbitrations.
1: I would love that. And these are three panel arbitrations. And generally as an attorney, if I do a three panel arbitration, what happens, and I'm not sure that baseball does it this way, but I'm guessing they probably do, is each side picks an ARB. You pick, you know, one arbitrator, you're going to pick the club friendly guy and then if you're the club. And then if you're the player, you're going to pick the player-friendly guy. And then you agree on a third guy who you think is pretty neutral. So you're basically fighting over the third guy's vote.
0: Okay. Similar to picking a jury, just less cancels, I guess, or less no's?
1: Um, yeah. you know, When you pick a jury, at least up here in Connecticut, we do individual questioning. We call it voir dire of each individual veneer person. We call them um, so it's kind of a lengthy process that is salted and peppered with people <laughs> saying all sorts yeah. of things that might get them off the jury.
0: Yeah, right. Yes, this just seems a little bit more uh, more buttoned up and they l- don't have as much time either with only a few weeks Yeah, to do it because spring training starts like that next week, I believe. Pitchers and catchers, it looks like they report during arbitration or maybe a couple days after.
1: Yeah, because it's usually right around Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah. Oh, without question. You mentioned Corbin Burns having an issue. That was the player you were referring to last year.
1: Yeah. And I was glad he spoke up because it confirmed my feeling that this is a damaging process. You really don't want to do this because like you said, you have to go on and work with these people.
0: Yeah. It's human nature. They expect athletes, especially athletes, to be able to turn it on and turn it off based on you know, they're playing in, in our version of an arena, I guess, you know, go back in, in Roman times. But, you know, they're humans. They, they they bleed like everybody else. So I I agree with you. I think it it's and again if if I were to go back in time I never would have sat in on that first one, but I think it it helped me understand the importance of having um more people around me uh that could battle, but people that were suited to to go in that battle and walk out of it and be I want to say I'm emotionless, but are harboring a little less emotion than probably I would doing it. So, and anything else on the arbitration? I think that was. I mean, that's, that was that's pretty good info for our our listeners. I would encourage you to do one on the three inning fan because I think it'd be important um, follow up as we get into it. But also your take on war. I think uh, I think that would be uh, a good listen or a good. Uh, kind of a good asterisk to, to go along with what you, the detail you put into the podcast today
1: you mean about the Hall of Fame yeah yeah I was thinking about doing that maybe I will yeah. it's a lot to do Dave
0: I know I know I'm throwing more homework onto your plate yeah, at the last hour fun. and uh <laughs> seem like a client that just changed their mind like right, m-
1: do, do you want me to make you dinner now because we're no gonna- no yeah <laughs> we're at
0: that point now would be the telling us with the, the yeah. closer here so might as well get to your your meals are you still on the health kick that you mentioned
1: i am yeah um so this week i wanted to talk about and yes i am i'm on my health kick because right at the end of last year like between uh november and thanksgiving and christmas it was like you know i put on a few pounds like everybody did so it's clean it up time still and so when I'm eating healthy, I eat a lot of sheet pan dinners because for working gals like me, they're easy. You come home, you put them in the sheet pan, you pop them in the oven. And I love to make chicken thighs. And chicken thighs are delicious. You buy like eight of them and you can, you know, serve that'll make a dinner for four or five people. They stay moist when you cook them. And that's why I really like them. They have that dark meat in them. And if you rub them with some spices and olive oil, roast them at 450 for about 40 minutes, finish them under the broiler to get the skin crackly, that's going to be delicious. And I love a roasted sweet potato with maybe a little grass-fed butter on it and a green salad on the side. Do you think Coach Sal would like that? My Coach Sal approved?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, he's- my God. He's he's um if you if people want to tune back into his holiday episodes, he was really good about presetting people for the new year. He's not big on resolutions, but um I've changed my I don't want to say I changed my diet, I become more aware of the amount of protein that I'm having day to day and meaning doing more protein, being more deliberate about the protein. I give Sal major props on that. He's also affected my workouts, so people that are interested in workouts um, there's always a thread through all the shows and this is going to sound, this isn't very exciting type of workout change, but Sal's huge on the ankle down. The first thing he does when he tests anybody, whether it's a, an athlete, a recreational athlete or a competitive athlete, is he tests their, their feet, their toes, their ankles, their flexibility, mobility. So I've adjusted my workout again. I'm not a professional athlete anymore, but I do, I do run ultra marathons now, which is over a hundred miles in one race. And I'm, I should take it back. It's not a race. I'm not allowed to call it a race. That's the that's the former baseball basketball person in me. Um, I get I get to scolded with the runner population and the ultras when I call it a race. It's oh a, my
1: god! I can't believe you do this, Dave. You have just outcooled me by like a million to one.
0: Well, there's nothing cool about how somebody looks at the end of an ultra marathon. So oh, you can just yeah, yeah, sure that you're that. not being. Not being out cool, especially when you look at the part of the body, the feet that Sal's helping me with um, to to just develop more flexibility, toes, ankles, feet. So anyway, I digressed a little bit. Sorry, I took us off the tracks, but just kind of a uh, a, a pump to Sal. there. he's he's very good. But yeah, your 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 uh, food repertoire right now, I, I know he would approve.
1: Oh, good. That's great. I'm going to sleep easy tonight. Oh,
0: right. You and me both. I I crave Sal's approval. But uh, (laughs) so what what did we miss today? How do you want to leave the audience? And please make sure you remind them where they can find you and support you on social media.
1: Sure. Yes. I'm Kelly Franco Troop, KFT. And I am on Twitter. I'm sorry, X and Instagram at three inning fan with three all spelled out. I have a special video coming out tomorrow um, because we got some sad news about Ryan Sandberg this past week, and so I thought I'd do a little tribute to him. And I'll leave it at that, but I hope you tune in to see what it is.
0: Oh, definitely the two, the two, two of the posters I had on my wall with baseball when I was a kid was Cal Ripken Jr. and Ryan Sandberg. That no was my, my favorite middle. I love those two players. Sandberg was, you know, what's great about those two players, and I don't mean this in, a, I mean this in a positive way. They were boring. They put the ball in play. They hustled. They, they fielded all the balls they were supposed to field. There wasn't a lot of flair to their game, fist pumping. I mean, they just, they just showed up every day and played. And I think Sandberg had, if not the longest, one of the longest airless streaks at second base in the history of the game. And then, of course, Ripken, his famous streak for, for playing every day for 19 years, I believe it was. So, um, yeah, those are, those are my two guys. Don Mattingly was another one that that I had up. Love Donnie Bass, but hope he gets in the hall eventually.
1: Yeah, but what was their war, Dave? What was their war?
0: No idea. I don't yeah. even know. Right. I know. Uh, I know they showed up to play every day and they won. They won games. That's a. That's what I was worried about. But yeah, I didn't know war. I don't. I, I it's like I told you the, the formula is so op- It's opaque. That's one of the dangers of it. I think is that, even the guys like Brian Kenny that are on spouting it off, they they couldn't tell you what the formula is because it's hidden. Um, which that to me, that's that's when it gets dangerous if people are using it to decide on things. So hopefully the conversations continue around the number, like you're suggesting. They do, and that'll keep it uh, in check and as part of the balance instead of the dominant decision-making portion. So, but uh, Kelly, great show today. I appreciate you. I know you had a busy week in court trying to save the world one case at a time. Uh, we appreciate you <laughs> making time here for our audience of sixty-five thousand. Congratulations on the two awards I mentioned a pre-show there for everybody. We appreciate your support, uh, the audience, to put us up against some great podcasts out there, people that we we admire and try to model after. Um, Jaw bats twenty or twenty percent off at checkout using RVG as your code. Wonderful maple bats, uh, meticulously done. Jeff Fry doubled in his first at bat down at Fantasy Camp with the Red Sox. Tanner's been using it. Every day, lefty and righty. Uh, the M110 model is his favorite. I think Jeff's using the same one. But uh, with that episode, we got 428, I believe. Is that am I oh, right my right? In that God. one, 427. I got a little ahead of myself. 427. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, we've got to, We'll be back next week with a full slate of shows. We got one more show to end the week, and that's the sauce coming up a little later today. So Kelly, thanks so much.
1: Dave, it was great. Talk soon.